Lord God, we are so thankful for your goodness. Lord, for your kindness. Lord, you are gentle and humble um, and you rule over all. God, those things are not incompatible. Um, those things are not at odds with each other, Lord, and, and we, we see that um, in your word. We see that in your son. God, I, I pray today that you would uh, remind us of truth that we love. Um, Lord, we, we pray that you would use your word this morning to, to fortify our hearts um, so that we are prepared for trials when they come. Lord, so that we respond um, in a way that is pleasing to you, um, in a way that trusts in you and honors you uh, with, with how we live. Lord, I, I, I do pray that you'd be glorified in, in our lives, um, that you'd be glorified in our hearts this morning as we um, are amazed at who you are. Um, and, I, and I pray that you would make us amazed at, at how great you are in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we're going to do, I hope every, everybody got a packet. They're, they're out there on the table if you didn't. Um, we're going to work through the attributes of God part two. Um, and we're actually going to just camp, sit on one <laughs> attribute today. Um, so I get to make another appeal to you guys to, to study the attributes of God. Um, and what I mean by that is not go and pick up a really good book. That, that talks about the attributes of God. That, that could be really beneficial. But what, but what I mean is keep coming to the word of God to get the God of the word. Keep seeking to, to know him from his word. Um, pay attention to what you see there of what God's word reveals about him. Um, and then apply that to trusting him. Apply that to, to obeying him. Um, we get to know him, and we find that we are known by him. Um, in, in God's word, we get to see his trustworthiness. Um, let's, the, the quote that I put in front of you guys last time, um, I, I just want to read again. Um, A.W. Tozer at the beginning there says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That, that is true, <laughs> and that, that hopefully is a familiar saying. I think Josh has said it quite a few times lately. It, it, but it is a good, a good truth that, that we need to remember. What what we know about God is actually the most important thing about us. Our relationship to God is the most important thing about us. Um, why should we study the attributes of God? Let's. We're going to open up to Galatians chapter four. Really quick. Galatians chapter 4, um, I, I want to just put our eyes on, on an appeal from Paul. Paul is reminding the Galatians that the gospel saved them. He's reminding them of their new place in Christ, and he's reminding them of the danger of their old ways, um, which, which were a lot like the ways of the Judaizers that we've been hearing about in the book of Philippians. Um, the Judaizers who were teaching the Galatians that they needed to obey certain customs in order to make themselves right with God. Um, listen to what Paul says, starting in verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, verse 8, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by which, to those which by no nature, by, by nature are no gods. Verse 9, but now, having known God, or rather, having been known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you want to be enslaved all over again? Um, in, in this appeal from Paul, we're reminded that the believer is saved by what God did, not, not what we did. The believer is saved from, men, from, from what men love to do. Men love to establish their, a righteousness of their own, a righteousness of their own through what we have done. The believer is saved to be a son and an heir. Before the believer knew God, he was a, he was a slave to things that are no gods. And the believer is said now to know God, to know God, and even more importantly, to be known by God. And, and here's the motivation for studying the attributes of God, for coming to God's word, to meet with him, to know better the God of the word. It's this, knowing and being known by God. Believer, you were a slave. You were a slave to things that were not him. And now you've been adopted by him to know him and be known by him. Fix your eyes on who he is and what he's done. Don't go back to trying to make much of you. Um, glorify God by seeking to know him and make him known. Um, as, as we jump into this study on, on an attribute, the simple definition of an attribute of God that I gave you guys last time is what, what I mean when I say an attribute of God is something that scripture says is true or characteristic about God. Today we're going to focus in on one truth about God, and, and I think that is a central, overarching, pervasive truth in scripture, um, and it's the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. That means God reigns. He rules over all. God rules over everything. There's a couple quotes there for you. Um, First Packer says, God's dominion is total. He wills as he chooses and carries out all that he wills, and none can stay his hand or thwart his plans. And then Bruce Ware says, God is sovereign, and in his and his sovereignty is both exhaustive, covering the whole sweep of history, and it's meticulous. Every detail is planned and regulated. 
So we, we, are gonna, we are going to look at what is in the category of everything. If God rules over all, how far does God's rule extend? What does all mean? When we say God is sovereign, he rules over all, we, we mean absolutely everything. Um, I like how Bruce Ware said here, God's will is both exhaustive and meticulous. His authority is over history as a whole, and it's over all of history's details. Um, unlike unlike the, the exhaustive sweep of scripture that, that, that really is there, um, if you read your Bible cover to cover, you will see God's sovereignty over and over and over again. Um, the list we're going to look at today might feel long. <laughs> There's a lot of passages, but it is n- nowhere near the passages that talk about God's sovereignty. It's nowhere near all of those passages. It's just everywhere in God's word. Um, God is in control, and so much of scripture points to that fact. But hopefully this does help us appreciate the weight of what he says there about his sovereignty. Um, for a lot of these categories in the list, I, I provided examples of God's sovereignty in the Old Testament, Jesus' authority in the New Testament, and how God will show his authority in, in the future. So first, let's jump into things God rules over. God rules over his creation. In Genesis 1, God exercised his complete control when he spoke commands and things that didn't even exist obeyed him. They came into being. Let there be light, he said. Heavens and the earth. By the time we get to, to chapter 2, the heavens and the earth and all of their hosts were completed. God made everything. Everything is under his rule. And so much of scripture when it's talking about God's authority, points back to this fact. God is the maker. So everything belongs to him. Everything is still under the authority of the one who created it. Um, In Exodus 7 to 10, last week our children learned about God's mighty deeds in Egypt. These mighty deeds um, were displays of God's sovereignty over his creation. Why, why would God show that he is still sovereign over his creation to the Egyptians? Listen to what he told his people through Moses. Um, Exodus 6, 6 says, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you over from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. In chapter 7, verse 4, God says something similarly about the Egyptians themselves. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. That, that phrase 
is repeated over and over and over again. By this you will know that I am Yahweh. Um, By this you will know that I am Yahweh. That you may know that there is no one like Yahweh your God. There's a distinction between Israel and Egypt in order that you may know that I, Yahweh, am in the midst of the land. And, and it goes on and on throughout the passage. God reveals that he is in control of his creation and his people knowing him. The Egyptians knowing him brings God glory. God, God reveals he's still in control of his creation so that he would be glorified. In Luke 8, we see Jesus has authority over creation. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and the wind and the waves stopped. The disciples, um, a lot of them were, were pretty familiar with wind and waves, are fearful and amazed, saying, Who then is this, that he commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him? Jesus has authority over his creation. In Revelation, we see God's authority over his creation on full display, um, really culminating when his heaven and his earth pass away just at his presence. They, they flee just at his presence, and there's no room found for them. And then his new heaven and his new earth, which he made, which he's sovereign over, will come. God is sovereign over his creation. He is sovereign over his earthly creatures. God has power not just over creation as a whole, not just over simple things like light and wind and waves, uh, but God has control. He exercises sovereignty. He exercises his rule over earthly creatures, things with life in them, things with breath in them. Genesis 2.19, um, this might not be a passage that, that you think of when you think of God's control, but God exercised his control over earthly creatures, all of the cattle, all of the beasts of the field, all of the birds of the sky. Um, God did not just make them, he did that, but he also brought them all to Adam so that Adam could name them. That is impressive power. (laughs) There. If you've ever gone out and tried to look for animals, if you've ever tried to herd cats, that is impressive power. And God, the one who made them all, controlled them all, brought them to Adam in, in a day, in, in an afternoon, maybe. Um, I think that's the same thing that's on display as in Genesis 7, as all of the animals we hear went into the ark to Noah. Um, because God commanded, uh, just as God commanded Noah. Um, God's authority actually supplied what was needed um, for those things to to obey Noah's command, for those things to um, accomplish God's will. Turn, Turn to Psalm 50 really quick here. The book of Psalms, chapter 50. We're going to start in verse 7. So th- this psalm judges Israel um, in light of who God is. Truth about God is proclaimed and it's applied to Israel. 
Listen to this. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I don't reprove you. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings are continually before me. That's not the problem. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. Why? Verse 10, for every beast of the field is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? No. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. Everything is his. He is over everything. So you people who are also his, God says here, don't be mistaken. You actually can't give him anything. So be thankful, call upon him, be rescued by him, honor him. God is sovereign over earthly creatures. He's also sovereign over heavenly creatures. He rules over them. From, from the earliest pages and then all throughout scripture, angels are sent, they obey, they go. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You alone are the Lord, Yahweh. You have made the heavens, the heavens of heavens with all their host, the earth that, and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. In, in Revelation 19.10, these spiritual beings who appear worshipable, they, they're, they're great. John falls down before them, and, and he's told not to, not to worship them. They are fellow servants of God. They obey God. In Matthew, they serve, they minister to Jesus. God is sovereign over his heavenly creatures, even creatures that seem great and worshipable to, to earthly creatures like us. God is also sovereign he rules over, he exercises dominion over fallen spiritual creatures. These exist. And so they are under God's sovereign hand as well. Um, we see this in Job 1 and Job 2. In, in Yahweh's presence, God himself twice says to Satan, the adversary, have you considered my servant Job? God hears Satan's requests and then he's the one who gives first Job's things into Satan's hand and then Job himself into Satan's hand. Both times, Satan could not go beyond what Yahweh had determined, beyond what Yahweh had commanded. Satan, in, in Job 1 and 2, is under the rule of Yahweh, under the rule of God. Jesus, too, has authority over fallen spiritual creatures. In Matthew 4, we see Jesus 
led up to be tempted by the devil, he listens. He is tempted without sinning in the wilderness. And then at the end of that, that story, he commands Satan, go, and Satan leaves. Uh, Luke 4 is, is one of the, the many times that Jesus demonstrates his authority over demons. They, they listen to his commands. They cannot disobey his authority. In Revelation 20, the culmination of God's command over these fallen spiritual creatures will be seen when, when Satan is bound um, for a thousand years. And then when he's finally thrown into the lake of fire where his judgment will be forever and ever. God is sovereign. He sits on his throne. He rules. Fallen spiritual creatures have no authority that hasn't been given to them. It, the, there is, there's not just two powers at war here, and we're not sure who's going to win. Um, God is sovereign. He sits on his throne, and, and he rules everything. God rules the nations. Tur go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 11. This, this is a passage we, we know well. It's familiar. But the nations don't exist because they wanted to. Uh, people groups were divided by the mighty hand of God. In Genesis 11, spreading out, being divided, was the last thing that the people wanted. But God's desire is, is what mattered. Is, that's what we're going to see. Listen, listen to the people. In Genesis 11:3, they say, "Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly." And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar, and they said, "Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name." Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And, and that would actually be obeying God's command to everyone in Genesis 9-1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's not what they wanted. The Lord came down, you remember, to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people. And they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now, nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. And God says, come, let us go down. And there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So Yahweh scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord, Yahweh, confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. God's will is what mattered. Uh, God exercised sovereignty over the nations when he created the nations. Um, and, and that sovereignty did not stop. In Isaiah, we see that nations obey God and are tools in God's hand. 
and those very nations that accomplish God's purpose are accountable to God's judgment for their own sinful thoughts and actions. Their own sinful thoughts and actions are, are put on display in, in Isaiah and, and judged. In Acts 17, Paul describes God's sovereignty over the nations. He, he describes God's current declaration to the nations that men everywhere should repent. God shows his sovereignty in, in commanding people everywhere to repent. And God's fixed future judgment of the world. God is going to show his sovereignty in judging the world. Each of those things show God's authority. Then in, in Revelation 19.15, we see how Jesus will finally rule the nations with a rod of iron. He will exercise dominion um, in a way that's visible and felt by everyone as he rules them with a rod of iron. God is sovereign over nations. He's also sovereign over individuals. God is sovereign over nations, and he's also sovereign over individual people. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. And while, while you're turning there, I'm going to just talk about Exodus 11. There's an example of something we see over and over in Scripture um, here in, in Exodus 11. Yahweh gives the Israelites favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Um, he makes Moses greatly esteemed in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. That, that's amazing. God made Moses and Israel highly esteemed in the sight of the people that, that were actually feeling firsthand very personally cost, in a very personally costly way God's sovereignty. Um, Egypt was being judged. They were seeing God's mighty deeds. Their livelihoods are threatened or taken away right alongside this message from Moses. And yet God gave Israel, God gave Moses, favor in the sight of the Egyptians. I, th I think that shows God's authority <laughs> over people. Um, in Acts chapter 2, we read in verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, you delivered, delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Uh, we, we talked about this one in communion a couple weeks ago. But what is, what is the worst possible thing that could have happened? It did happen. Jesus, the perfect son of God, was crucified. He was nailed to a Roman cross to die as a sinner. Um, and as we read Peter's words there, God himself planned this. He sovereignly carried it out by the hands of sinful men. God himself planned the crucifixion of Jesus and they nailed him to the cross. 
God is sovereign over individual people, even in this most horrible act. He brought about good. He brought about his glory. He brought about his people's salvation. We can trust the sovereign one who didn't even withhold his son. God is sovereign over people. Um, he's also sovereign over the hardness of hearts of individuals. Um, I think that's really clearly seen in, in the same passage we talked about, Exodus 7 through 11, that our kids heard about last week and are going to hear about this week. God said that he would harden Pharaoh's heart in, in chapter 7, verse 3. And then the next couple chapters through the judgment of, of Egypt, there are 14 references to Pharaoh's heart being hardened or being hard. God hardened his heart and Pharaoh hardened his heart. God is sovereign. God in his sovereignty did as he desired and, and Pharaoh in his stubbornness did as he desired and he was accountable for his actions. God's sovereignty and, and man's accountability are not at odds with each other. Um, Listen to John 12, verses 37 to 40. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Verse 38, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. God is sovereign over individuals. He's even sovereign. He even exercises rule over the hardness of the hearts of individuals. But he's also sovereign over his people's salvation. God wants his people to know that his favor is unbound to anything outside of his will. When God passed by Moses on the mountain, he declared, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Do you hear God's sovereignty on display here? No one influences him. He does as he wills. And, and he uses that will to show compassion because he desires to. Not be because compassion is earned or grace is, is deserved. Isaiah 43 says that God is the one who will save Israel. He will save his people. Ephesians 1 and 2, listen to, to how many times God is the one acting. How many times he's the one planning. He's the one carrying out the plan in salvation. He blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed. 
it goes on, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. He made known according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Salvation is all about what God has done for his people. And, and this description of salvation goes on and on and on to God's glory. We, we receive the benefits. God is the one who has acted in salvation. In chapter 2, it, it's spelled out from the other angle. Um, we didn't deserve to be saved. And we could do nothing to be saved. As those who are now believers, us, if, if, if you're a believer, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. But God, in verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus purpose statement here so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus do you, do you hear how many things God has done to save us and and there's still this so that he can actually show more abundant grace more abundant kindness to his people in the future how can that even be what what else is is there to show his people He says that he will, and he will. Why? He goes on, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves either. It is the gift of God. God rules over his salvation for his people. God is sovereign in salvation. Salvation from wrath that we do deserve, that we did deserve, to the favor that we don't deserve, is all from God. God is sovereign over his people's lives. His people, which he made, will praise him, Isaiah 43, 21 says. Ephesians 2, 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And, and even those, those good works are things which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them over and over and over in God's word, God is referred to by his people as Lord, Master. Those who have been saved by him are under his lordship. Um, we must obey. That, that's true of any creature. Every creature is called to obey the sovereign one who created them. And now this side of the cross, we we have desires to obey him. We, we desire to, to be pleasing to him. We can obey him, not, not to earn salvation, but just because of his goodness towards us. Believers now get to live in accordance with the lordship that God already possesses, and they get to be under his lordship to bring him glory by their lives. Listen to Titus 2, 11. It's appeared how has it appeared? Bringing salvation to all men, 
instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. God's, God's people, because of God's grace, are all about living for him, living under his, his authority, knowing, wanting to know what pleases you, master, um, because he's good. He's a good master. God is sovereign over the lives of his people, and he's also sovereign over circumstances. Um, Genesis 50 has, has what, we, what we might think is an extreme example of circumstances being under God's sovereign control. Um, Joseph's brothers tearing his, con- his clothes off, tossing him in a pit while they plotted to kill him, then deciding that they would rather make money by selling him and, and saying that an animal tore him to pieces. Um, and, and in that, that context, Joseph in the, the rearview mirror is able to say in, in verse 19 of chapter 50 to his brothers who did the, all of those things to him, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? He's acknowledging God is the one who judges, not me. God is the one who rules. His his say matters, not mine. Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. What's the it referring to? Back to the evil that they meant against him. The things that they did, which were with evil intentions. God meant those evil things to for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And, and God delivered Israel in that moment. God delivered many outside of Israel in that moment. Egypt was, was saved because of God's con- control over circumstances. Um, the nations around Egypt were, were delivered by, by having provisions in, in a time of famine uh, because God controlled circumstances. Listen to Isaiah 45, 5 through 7. I am Yahweh, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. Why? So that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am Yahweh, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And there, causing well-being, the word for well-being there is blessing. Uh, Creating calamity, the word for calamity there is just bad. Bad things. Um, things that feel bad, things, things that are bad, are still under the sovereign control of the mighty God. 
God controls circumstances. The favorite saying of Matthew and the other gospel accounts is, is this, this was to fulfill God's word. Jesus' words all were fulfilled in Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, down to minute literal details, the preparation for his coming, his coming, his birthplace, his childhood, his ministry, his triumphal entry, his rejection, even while on the cross, men casting lots for his clothes, not breaking a single bone, not allowing his Holy One to see decay, but raising him up, everything was fulfilled. It was all accomplished. God controls circumstances, even circumstances that, that led to the hardest, saddest thing in, in all of history. Acts 13, 29 says something similar. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. God controls circumstances. And finally, God controls all things. We could have started with this. We're going to end with it. <laughs> um, some, some people might say, um, you might have had the thought, we know that God could control anything. And sure, sure, he has stepped in and moved the hearts of men. He could, in history, circumstances, but that is different from saying that he does always exercise his rule and authority over everything. That that's different from saying he actively rules over all. Does he always hold all things under his rule, under his dominion? Psalm 103:19 says, "Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all." Psalm 115.3 says, not to us, verses 1 through 3 actually in, in Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. Psalm 135, verse 6, um, that, that passage says, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever Yahweh does, whatever Yahweh pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps, he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain, who brings forth wind from his treasuries. He smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, upon Israel and all his servants. God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Um, Isaiah 46.10 um, is, is the last one we're going we're gonna to hear from. Starting in verse 8, he says, Remember this. And be assured 
Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the, f- the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. There, God is sovereign over everything and, and he says that as he is planning to bring judgment for his people for their sin. Um, and we actually are going to look at one more. Um, Romans eight twenty six through 30. these familiar, beloved verses. We don't even know how we ought to pray. But, but see God's sovereignty here. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows that the mind, what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. God is in control of all things. Um, and before and after, God's will is on, disp- is on display. He is in control of all things, moving towards his will, which is ultimately at the end of verse 30 there, glory. And along the way, what's between all things and glory is being conformed to the image of his son. God is, God is controlling all things towards glory. And, and for you, believer, that means you're good, that you would be conformed into the image of his son and, and ultimately just a testimony, a testament to his glory. Um, what are some implications of God's rule? The, the quote there, we'll read together. There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all his works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. So, how does God's sovereignty relate to human accountability and responsibility. If, if God is sovereign and if God is over all things that happens 
and, is, and God is working towards his glory if everything works towards God's glory how could I be guilty of sin um, wasn't sin the instrument of glory Romans 6 asks and, and answers that, that same question um, if, that's, if that's something that, that you have thought about that, that has been a question in your mind go read Romans 6 because Paul puts that question up grace sounds too great how, how could it not be taken advantage of God is sovereign. And so, God is the judge. He is a good judge. God is glorified by giving grace to the sinner, and he is also glorified by opposing the proud, by righting wrong. Um, how do these two things exist? God says they do. <laughs> Uh, man is accountable for his sin. And God will be glorified. He will be glorified in saving sinners and in judging sin. Why evangelism? Why should we evangelize if God is sovereign over salvation? Have you ever thought of that? Because he is sovereign we can, we must share the gospel. How could men be saved if he wasn't sovereign? Remember Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Just like Josh laid out last week in Philippians, the unbeliever is in a desperate, hopeless place apart from God. But God has chosen to save sinners who believe, and he's let us participate in that. The disciples, the church, um, they, were they were commanded to go, therefore, making disciples. And the church was promised that people from every tribe and nation and tongue and family would be worshiping Christ in heaven. Every family would be blessed. It was the promise even given to Abraham. Um, and we see fulfilled in Revelation. God is sovereign. And so, obey his command and, and share the gospel. He used it to save you. Uh, prayer. If God is sovereign, why should we pray? You can pray because the sovereign one cares. Um, he desires to hear your prayer, to provide for your, for your every need. He has prescribed prayer, and he has chosen to use prayer. So pray, because God, the God, who can do whatever he pleases, desires your, your prayer. Um, thinking about rejoicing and suffering. When, when God gives good things, and he does all the time, rejoice. When his sovereignty lets you see a sunset, hug a loved one, enjoy a meal, um, take another breath, God is good. He, he is under his authority, his uh, umbrella of sovereignty, allowed you to enjoy these things. Be thankful. 
the good God who made the heavens and the earth gives good things. So honor him in, in how you respond to those things. And, and right alongside that, hard is real. Sorrow, pain, death, tragedy. These are things that we find in life under the sun. Um, remember, God has not abdicated his throne. He isn't taking the day off. He isn't sleeping. He knows your sorrows. Think about Jesus. Think about the son of man and how he was acquainted, well acquainted with grief and sorrow and pain. And that, that was before his death on the cross. Think of how Jesus wept for Lazarus, the man that he cared for, the family that he cared for. Um, and that was before Jesus actually took men's burdens upon him, himself at the cross to pay for, for their sins. Jesus is acquainted with sorrow and grief. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is so helpful to, to remember. No temptation has overtaken you but what, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Um, God is sovereign over everything. He, he's sovereign over your circumstances. Um, the circumstances you have today, the circumstances you may have tomorrow. God, God rules over those, and he rules over them with a good hand. He is faithful. Romans 8 tells us, it, we just, we just looked at this, it, whatever it is, leads to glory through conformity to him. Whatever the circumstance is that, that, that God has ordained, um, that leads to God's glory through conforming you into the image of his son. Um, J.C. Ryle has a, has a quote that says, there is no commentary that opens up the Bible so much as sickness and sorrow. Um, you've probably heard Tom say <laughs> many times, if, if I didn't have this, I wouldn't trust him. If it was all easy all the time, I wouldn't trust him. But, but God is kind to, to make his people trust him. We, we get to see our weaknesses so that we know not to trust here, not to trust me. God is sovereign, and he is good in that. Um, he is sovereign over past, present, future circumstances. Everything is under the authority, is under the rule of our, of our Lord. So we should be, seek to be faithful with today um, and trust God with whatever today brings. Um, God reminds us, don't be anxious about tomorrow. God knows what you need before you ask him, and he desires you to seek him in prayer to provide for you. Um, he also desires us to today seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness. And, and so we need to do that in today, whatever today has for us. Let's pray, and we'll break up into small groups. Lord God, we are so thankful for your 
sovereignty, Lord. The sun rose this morning, and it is a testament to your faithfulness, your goodness, Lord. God, we have breath this morning, and, and we are thankful for that. Lord, I, I do pray that you would just use this truth. Um, maybe, maybe not today, but maybe, maybe tomorrow it'll be needed. Lord, we, we pray that you would fortify us with truth so that we um, trust you today and we trust you tomorrow. Lord, help us to run the race that you've given us, um, fixing our eyes on you. And we, we pray that you would be glorified in us, Lord. I, I, I pray that you would be glorified in, in these women as they um, seek to know you more, as they seek to be faithful moms and, and wives and um, in our church and in their, their homes and in their, their workplaces. Lord, we, we pray that you would be glorified in them. Um, God, we are so thankful for, for your control over all things because we know... Um, we know that it would not go well if we were in control, but you are good, and, and we are thankful for that. We, we pray that you'd be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.